0: Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 1st John, 1st John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 16 and 17 tonight for continuity. We looked at verse 16 last week, and we'll primarily look at verse 17 tonight, both verses in conjunction, verse 16 and 17 of 1st John chapter 3. The Bible says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight grateful that you are a friend a friend that stick closer than a brother. We thank you, dear Lord, for demonstrating your love. You demonstrating your love to us. Coming to this earth and dying on Calvary's cross so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your presence in our lives and how you continue to show up in a timely way. Dear Lord, we are a needy people, but we are thankful that you are God who answers prayers. Pray tonight, as your word goes forth, that you would use it once again to draw our hearts closer to you. Thank you for how you are working in our lives, for your honor and glory, that our hearts would be receptive to what you have to say. And I pray tonight that if there is someone under the sound of my voice who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that tonight will be the night of their salvation. And for every believer, that we would be challenged to take a closer walk with you. Thank you once again for your goodness. We ask for your blessings. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Living in a digital and online world, as we are in 2021, requires high levels of security and authentication to ensure that access to resources, websites, that it's granted to the right and the appropriate individuals. If you go online and you log into your email and you log into your bank accounts for those who would venture into that space, you log in into online shopping sites like Amazon and Macy's and these various portals, it's required that you authenticate yourself by way of passwords. But if you do this, you would notice that at times it requires just more than a password to log in. This is using what is called, officially, two-factor authentication. You say, pastor, that sounds like a new language. Well, it's a terminology that is defined as a security system that requires two separate and distinct forms of identification in order to access something. Now uh, it may be utilized in an online setting but the truth of the matter is if you go to the ATM you are truly also using two-factor authentication because your card is one form of identification that identifies you but also to verify that you are who you say you are, you're required as well to enter a PIN. But when this is done online, you would notice that you enter a password, and secondly, you might be required to enter another code, maybe some form of a text, or it could be a series of numbers that would have been sent to you via another device to ensure that the person entering the password is indeed the right individual. In other words, security is ensuring that you don't just have one criteria to authenticate who you are, but you have an additional to ensure that you are who you say you are. Authentication is important. When it comes to authenticating who we are as Christians... I believe that it is important, and on the authority of God's word as well, that we are not one-dimensional. In other words, as born-again believers, it ought to be that we can be identified as Christians, as children of God, by more than one criteria. Amen? In other words, that will truly validate that we are who we say we are. The Apostle John, in writing this epistle of 1 John, examines a number of what I've labeled as authenticated practices, plural, that should be evident in the life of a born-again believer. John understood that, uh, to name the name of Jesus Christ, there comes along with that some uniqueness, some unique things about us, some things that are distinctive, Uh, Some unique characteristics that are part of our new nature. Why? Because we have been given a divine nature by the God of the universe himself. And let me tell you something. When God himself enters our life, it ought to be evident. Amen? Amen? We now have what I've called a Christian signature. Something that uniquely sets us apart. Something that authenticates us. That when a person sees that believer, uh, that signature is so apparent, they say, listen, that must be a Christian. No mistake about it. So we've looked at a number of authenticated practices these past few weeks. And we saw, first of all, that a born-again believer, a child of God, Possessing this Christian signature he's going to love the brethren. Amen? This love has been given and it has been deposited. This is not an earthly love. This is a, a love that comes from God. It's called an agape love. It's an unconditional love. After all, that's how God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. We love the brethren. We'll secondly seek to live a holy life. God requires that we live holy lives. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. But here's a third one that I'm sure we are not going to like too much. When we love the brethren, when we live a holy life, we're going to be loathed by the world. In other words, the world and its system, headed up by Satan himself, is not going to like the fact that we are God's representatives. Why? We are on opposite sides. we're going to be hated by the world and then last week we saw the fourth characteristic if you will that a child of God, a born again believer is going to be willing to lay down his or her life for others we saw first of all last week if you're taking notes that there's a point of consideration verse number 16 we saw that he says, hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we know that we have the love of God? That because he laid down his life for us, we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. He saw that there is a pattern. Jesus himself taught by example. In every aspect. He never gave commands and said, do this. He says, do this as I do it. What a great way to teach. There's a pattern he laid out a practice that this love that he demonstrates to us it's one that's given willingly but we saw as well that this love amazingly is showered upon those who are wicked and just in case we think that that's other folks that's us God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Listen, we didn't fix up ourselves and then Christ decided to go to the cross. He saw us in our sinful state and went to the cross anyway. That's the practice. But here's where it ought to get us, and hit us right at our hearts is that this love is experienced by us personally. Personally. Christ didn't just die for us. He died for you personally, and he died for me. Amen? And so that's, first of all, as we examine this aspect of laying down our lives for others, notice the consideration. But notice, secondly tonight, I want you to jot this down, the cause. The cause. In verse number 17, As a continuation of what was just stated in verse number 16, it says, But whoso hath this world's goods, and look at the cause, and seeth his brother have need. In other words, when we say there is a cause, it means that there is a problem. Remember when David was on his way to give his brothers the food that his father had given to him and the provisions. And his eldest brother Eliab came after him and questioned his presence and his inquiry of this uncircumcised Philistine. And David responded to him and said, Is there not a cause? In other words, David was saying to him, is there not a problem that needs to be addressed? We have all kinds of problems, kinds of problems in our world, don't we? We got environmental problems, issues of erosion and landfills. We can't find enough space to put the trash that we're accumulating. We have environmental problems. We have historical problems. We have people who these are causes that are near and dear to their hearts. And so they go around and they seek to conserve ancient landmarks and old artifacts and things that we might figure we can discard, but that's the cause to them. And so they're involved in the aspect of preservation. We got political Issues. They're those who embark on these causes. Why? Because they feel that who's in power politically has an impact on their businesses and their institutions, and so they seek to influence political direction. Why? That's a, a cause that's important to them. Their causes in the area of social justice. Those who go about and give their lives for racial equality, that's a cause that they are concerned with. There are those who are concerned with the issue of health, food preservation, quality of life. That's a cause that's near and dear to their heart. We have the cause pertaining to living morally those who make it a point of duty to stand up for preservation of life. But we have abortion, definition of marriage. We have evangelical, evangelical causes, the area of missions. And I say all of these things to show clearly that we don't have all of the same interest. We don't all champion the same causes. But John here points out a cause. He says there's a very important cause that has to be drawn to our attention, and it's the cause of seeing a brother in need. When there's a brother in need, or a sister, there is a, a, a problem. But notice tonight, jot this down, when there is a cause such as this, John is indicating to us that because of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts, guess what? We ought to care. Amen? Now, sometimes there's a cause, and we see people championing a particular cause, and the truth of the matter is, we we might encourage them along, but we don't care as much as they do. Agreed? But John is saying to us, as it relates to this particular cause, we ought to care about it. Listen to what Romans chapter 5, as a matter of fact, turn there, because this is a very important passage I don't want to draw to your attention tonight. I want to take some time to examine it here tonight. Why is it that we ought to care? There's some things that happen that might be a problem that we acknowledge, but we don't care to the same degree. Well, let's look at Romans chapter five. So I thought that this was a very important passage for us to look at. Romans chapter five and verse number one. The Bible says, "Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace." wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now John, not John, but the Apostle Paul, rather, writing these verses is is celebrating the fact that we have salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we have access by faith into this grace, uh, wherein we stand. And he says, as a result of this great salvation, what do we do? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen, we have been uh, privileged to now have access to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We ought to be excited about that. But notice how he transitions and switches in verse number 3. He says, not only so. We not only rejoice in the glory of God. But he says, we glory in what? in tribulations. Now, that seems very odd. Now, I can safely say, man, it makes sense, it seems, to celebrate and rejoice in the glory of God. Wow, that sounds like a wonderful setting. A beautiful place. Something that is exciting and glorious. Fabulous. But he's saying that we are to glory in tribulations now here's what I want us to see tonight John says not John but Paul says we glory in tribulation but I want to explain to you tonight why is he able to make this statement because he says this glory in tribulation actually doesn't brings about a process look at the connection he says we glory in tribulation also why Because tribulation worketh what? Patience. Patience produces experience. And experience produces what? Hope. So when I have tribulation, even though I see a difficulty, even though I see a trial, even though I see something that even causes some pain, some difficulty, the reason why I can rejoice in that tribulation, as well as rejoicing in the glory of God, is because it produces hope. But here's what's so important. I have this hope. And look at verse number five. This is so critical. Hope, make it not ashamed. Because what? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So ultimately, the reason why I can rejoice in tribulation is because I have the love of God in my heart. Now you say, Pastor, What's the connection between the love of God and tribulation helping me to have hope? Now, to understand the context, you have to continue with verse number 6 to verse number 10. Now, when you read the Bible, it's so important to understand in context. Because we read verses 1 to 5, but we don't continue sometimes to verses 6. To 10 to understand that it's all linked to the love of God now Paul uses the example now of Jesus Christ to explain this he says for when we were yet without strength in due time look at what happened Christ died for who the ungodly for scarcely, for a righteous man, would one die. Yet, peradventure for, for a good man, some will even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, in that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were in a messed up state. We were in a terrible state. And Christ, because of his love, died for us. Stick with me. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Notice he's talked about tribulation. And ultimately, he showed a connection that tribulation and difficulty produces hope. But that hope... It's possible because the love of God. So when Jesus looked at our lives, we were messed up. We were in a bad state. But because of love, he saw what we could be and what we would be because of his love. And as a result of that, he died for us anyway in the sinful state because he knew that we we would be something special because of his love. How does that link back to 1 John chapter 3? And verse, number, 16 and 17. Here is why, as believers, we are to love and we ought to love people even in their sinful state because just as tribulation produces uh, experience, patience and patience produces experience and experience produces hope listen, when you see a person in their wicked state in the state where they're destitute in sin and depravity, here's why you love them anyway, because love is the avenue by which they will be changed from where they are to something that they could be, just like God changed Changed us because of his love when we were in destitute, in desperate, in trespasses and sins, and saw not what we were, but what we could be. Therefore, he had hope because of his love for us. That his love would transform us and that's what paul was saying and that's what john is saying as well in first john chapter number 3 my friend this is why when we see uh, we ought to have a care a love because love transforms lives wow love is the avenue by which a bad situation can be turned around We ought to be excited about the love of God. And that is why when there's a cause, when we see a brother or a sister in need as children of God who have had that love shed abroad in our hearts, deposited in our lives, we are to care. We ought to care. It ought ought to be an instinctive thing. And even if it's not instinctive, even from a sense of obligation because of what has been manifested in our lives because of this love, we ought to say, listen, if it worked for me, it ought to work for somebody else. Too many times we think that Somehow, love is something that ought to be earned. But we didn't earn God's love. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so tonight, I just want to leave with you. There's a cause. But first of all, prior to that, remember the consideration. We looked at that last week. When there's a cause, we ought to what? Care. We ought to care. And we're going to see next week that that care is going to produce some other things. I thought we would have gotten further. But I'll tell you, this thing is so deep. As you continue to dive in, you realize how much God's love transform our lives and how when we pattern his example we will see the transformation in lives around us so let it be as we look around and we see a world in need that we what we care let's care and we'll see next week that that care is going to result in some other things subsequently that will help us take that care and take that love and transform it into action.